Did you know that Kenya dates back to the Stone Age and that it possesses one of the world's largest and most complete records of man's cultural development? This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacations, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett, and I am joined, as always, by Dave Cumberbatch. Davey, 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 what's going on, man, in the Big Apple? Well, I'll tell you, um, there's, a whole lot in, there's a whole lot going on in the news today. One of the things that stands out is that people are beginning to travel again. That's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I you know, we've had a lot of guests on who have just recently had their first travel experience, unlike our guest today, who's probably been a hundred places just since June. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a, a challenging year and uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting out again. Uh, I told you um, during our pre-segment of the show that I put my girlfriend on a plane this morning. It's the third trip she's taken in just the last month. So we, we're we're starting to get out and, you know, I mentioned in our last uh, podcast that it looks like uh, Labor Day, but like 140 million Americans are planning on traveling that weekend. Yeah, so that's amazing. What I read in the news as well, which is pretty stunning, New Zealand recently had one case of COVID, and the <laughs> and the prime and the prime minister shut the island down for three days with no no political fallout. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Well, you know, uh, you got to give them credit for one thing. The thing about it, too, in that same story, by the way, only 20 percent of their population is vaccinated. Yeah. So that that's pretty low for a, you know, a first world country. Um, but uh, I, I'm assuming the way that they're doing it, they'll eventually catch up. By the way, I meant to ask you something, man, because when I went to the airport this morning, I had to stop and get gas. <laughs> the price. The price was four dollars and 35 cents a gallon that's supply and demand um road trips are road trips are becoming extremely popular because of covid so you've got to deal with that supply and demand aspect of it i believe that's why uh some of the pricing is high even though i heard biden the president said recently uh he's gonna look into price gouging well let me help you out the short answer to that question is yes now, um, they've always said that every summer, like in March, March, April timeframe, gas prices start to spike because the gas industry has been telling us for decades, oh, it's the summer blend. We got to switch and prices go up. Then when the pipeline thing happened a couple of months back, we're here on the West Coast. We weren't affected by the pipeline, but our gas prices started to spike. Now what we're hearing is that there's plenty of gas. There's just not enough delivery trucks to get it to market. So it what always, the hell does that? Yeah, what the hell? Does, there's always a reason for them to jack those prices up. Right. There's always a reason for that. You know what they do? They take action and then they justify that action, or at mm -hmm. least they try to justify it. I actually agree with Biden's assessment. If he, if there is, or at least to the investigation, and and the thing about it is, is that also affects oil prices. For the airlines, because they're having to foot the bill. As a matter of fact, we had a bunch of uh, flights on the West Coast. There was four states affected by uh, fuel shortages for the uh, aircraft, and Nevada was one of them. Yeah. So, man. But you need to come off the left coast. <laughs> nah, I ain't. <laughs> my, my, my weather's better than yours. Damn it. 
So uh, anyway, let's jump into today's show because this is exciting. We're actually going to be headed to Africa. I will tell you what country momentarily in the intro. But before we get started, uh, you can catch the TripCast 360 on any podcast platform uh, your, of your heart's content. But uh, the best place to catch it is on our website at TripCast360.com. And just so you'll know, many of our guests have books. Some of them are directly related to travel. Some of them are not. Uh, those books are now offered for sale on our website. If you go to our homepage and just scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a section that says TripCast 360 Bookstore. And the books are there. Uh, and we will be updating that uh, as we go along. There's a couple books that I think there's three books on food. Uh, I know there's one children's book there. There's one that's a pictorial book that was really well done. Um, and we've got one called Black Trekking uh, from a, a journalist who uh, uh, lived in Latin America for a while as a, a black female solo journalist and stuff like that. So we've got some really exciting uh, things coming your way. The store will soon be expanded to include other items. We will keep those uh, to ourselves for now because we're in negotiations. So, yeah, check us out. Um, we're there. Uh, and uh, Dave's going to tell you about our social media stuff. Yeah, check us out on social media as well. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn. And uh, just follow us, like us, tag us. And messages. We read all of the messages and, uh, you know, we love hearing from you. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's jump into today's show. Frequent listeners of this podcast know our guest. It is the one and only Catherine Parker Magyar. Last yeah. month, she talked about her trip to the Maldives. Today, it's Kenya. Catherine's work has been featured on some of the best magazines and online platforms on the planet, such as Departures, Forbes, and Architectural Digest. You can check out all of Catherine's work on her website, CatherineParkerMagyar.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram at CatherineParkerMagyar, on Twitter at KPM1231, and on Facebook at Katie, K-A-T-I-E dot Parker Magyar. And when you go to her website, by the way, um, sign up for her newsletter. It's, it's a quick read. It's informative as hell and very entertaining. Catherine, where are you? Hi, I'm just back from Bonaire. I'm so ex I'm so excited about this podcast because this is my favorite country I visited. Well, I can't Nepal and Peru, which we'll discuss in future episodes. But like Kenya is like it's my favorite. It's it's the bomb. It's the bomb. It's the best. Yes, and and you know what we we've read so much about Kenya throughout the years. We know it's one of the world's leading safari destinations. But today, we get to have a personal experience with you about those yes. in intimate and personal experiences that you obviously enjoyed while you were there. Yes. And I always like to say there's so much more to Kenya than just the animals, even though the animals are like everything you can imagine and more. But like I was obsessed with the culture. I loved the people that I met and like just the architecture. Nairobi was so cool. Nanyuki. So, there's more to it than just safari, but the safari, of course, is the best. That's right. Tell us about the culture. What's the culture like? What are, what are some of the personal experiences that you had while you were there? So just in terms of the people, I guess it makes sense to like just from the top. I was on the first ever direct flight from um, New York City to Nairobi. 
And that was like the last Monday of October, the first Monday of October. And no, the last, not that it matters now, 2019. And Kenya was like really on my bucket list and flying. I really recommend this flight. I think also like people are like, oh, I've got to spend two weeks in Kenya minimum. But you, number one, you don't. I was there, you know, just a week. And, you know, just on the, on the flight over, like Kenya Airways, like Peggy was teaching me Swahili, Asante for that. You know what I mean? Like I was landing and I was like, great. Like just, I could barely sleep. And the second I landed, I met, there was a whole like procession of like Kenyan government officials. It looked like, you know, almost like a, I felt like a visiting president, like red carpet was rolled out. And the second I land, the deputy president, William Ruto, he shook my hand and he goes, welcome home. And then he gives this speech And, you know, he talked about how Queen Elizabeth II, she became queen while in Kenya, which obviously like everyone in the crown, they know that. And how Barack Obama was the son of a Kenyan man. And then he concluded it with being like, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you come from Asia, whether you come from Europe, whether you come from Australia, whether you come from wherever. Kenya is the capital of mankind. This is the place where humanity began. When you come to Kenya, you are coming home. And like, I just have to say that I did feel this emotional and spiritual connection to the country. Like, number one, that made me cry. But in terms of the culture, like, I think every country has its own specific flavor and sense of humor. And so for Kenya, what I found to be super interesting was that I'm from a large family and I am used to having like people make fun of me and just being teased nonstop. And Kenyan humor is very much the same. Like it's very much people are sort of self-deprecating, but also making fun of you. I found that immediately refreshing. Also the idea of Kenyan time, which is pretty much no time. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you'll discover this in Nairobi. And I can operate on that level very well. But just like experiencing, you know, the city of Nairobi, we stayed at, um, I think a lot of people, they land and they immediately get on a safari link plane and they go to their first safari camp. And that's not to say that you can't experience culture when you're on safari because there are different Kenyan tribes that are from that specific place where you're staying. But, you know, Nairobi is like a really flourishing city. And we stayed in the Norfolk, which is this historic hotel. It's bright pink. Sundowners. I'm going to give an upfront disclaimer here where I don't love Kenyan food, but I don't love a lot of different cuisines food. The meat is really well done. I know David always asked me about the food and I just need to say this up front, but I, <laughs> yeah, I it, love, if it could crawl, Dave's not touching it. <laughs> yes. I love the cocktails, but so I guess just talking about the culture, like if you want, I can sort of go into some of the people that I met that sort of, I feel we're sort of elucidating of that, but basically no, like John, I was at the Kenyan international convention center, like the first night and I was taking pics uh, it's pretty much like the rooftop. You know what I mean? And I ran into this guy, um, John Mutai, and he works with like Kenya Tourism. I'm pretty sure he's younger than me. We're still in touch. We WhatsApped yesterday. But we became like really good friends. Like I was practicing my Swahili. He was telling me how he's still a poet, you know, or he writes poetry. So I was critiquing his poetry. And then, you know, we posted an Insta- a selfie together on Instagram. And then, you know, when I got back to my hotel room, I looked on Instagram and he shared it to his feed. And he goes, you know, born in different cultures, but united by the same passion. And that sort of just like, just, I just felt, I felt like the people there are like very eager to share their culture, obviously, which is, I think you find around the world, like just ask questions. People are eager to do so. 
But I also found not that dissimilarly from China, because I just came from China, that people are quite direct. And maybe for some people that can take you off guard or you're like, but I love it. I love when people just get right into it. But um, in terms of the culture, like, I feel like I saw like a major in one week, you know, I feel like I got a taste a little bit of, of everything. Like I went to the, um, in, in Nairobi, like you don't need to also leave Nairobi for animal experiences, but for people who are literary lovers, like I am like, you know, out of Africa, um, what's it, Karen Blixen's Isaac Denison, like where she wrote her story is actually really close to the, um, draft center in David Sheldrick wildlife museum. So the giraffe manor is something that's very famous on Instagram. Like it's the giraffe peeking his head in and snacking. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think yeah. everyone knows that. Yes. And I don't want to knock anything, but it's quite expensive. But the giraffe center, which is nearby, has the exact same giraffes and it's $10. And what I loved about it was that all of the money like that you're spending there, like number one helps the community. But number two, like they have these drawings that are for sale children's drawings of different animals. Although like for me, I can't draw anything. I'm like, well, this looks like, this looks pretty legitimate. You know, like, it's not (laughs) like, oh, I'm going to buy this like scribble. It's like these beautiful pieces of artwork. And I bought this one of some tropical birds and, you know, every drawing that is sold provides a bus ticket for like one underprivileged child from Nairobi to visit the center. And oftentimes, you know, they're seeing a giraffe for the very first time. Because, you know, we think Kenya, we think that everyone has access to that there, but they don't. And one of the hugest parts of wildlife preservation is that it goes into cultural preservation. Like there's a lot of national pride in the landscape, in the wildlife. And, you know, Stanley Kozki, who's like from the draft center, he said to me, you know, the problem is never with the wildlife. It's the human beings that make this challenge. And he's like, if you want to make a better tomorrow, it's about changing the mindset of the next generation. And suggestions from little kids are always brilliant. You know, they want to save the world. And just all these, all these people that I met who I was just like, I was just so impressed with the passion. And also just with the, I think, you know, I think Amer- Americans are very friendly and we tip well. So people like us for that and we're loud. And in Kenya, I just thought that people were extremely, extremely friendly and just you know, speaking of the conservation of animals, when I was in um, Mount Kenya Safari Club. And I went to the Mount Kenya Wildlife Conservancy and they're working to save the mountain bongo, which are these striped antelope looking creatures from extinction. I met this man, Donald Bungie. And I was like, how did you get involved? Like wanting to save the bongo. And he told me this story about how like when he was eight, he was given like one chicken. And then he was able to transform Mm -hmm. that one chicken by like trading and bartering into a herd of sheep by age 10. And then he had a dozen cows by high school. And I was like, well, someone's saving the population here. It's him. And it was just very cool. The people make it. I think the people make everywhere. And I don't know if that's, and I mean, I think we're going to get into the Maasai Mara a little bit later, but that is obviously another part of the culture that I found to be like fascinating. And when you fly Kenya Airways on the wing of the, on the tail of the plane, you know, you've got the symbol of the Maasai Mara and we can get a bit into like, you know, what's exploitative versus what's cultural, cultural appreciation versus cultural exploitation. But when you land in the Maasai Mara, when I landed in the Mara, we were greeted by, um, you know, the, the elders from the Maasai villages. And they were, it was, you know, people are proud to share their culture and their heritage. And for me, it was just like, in the best case scenarios, tourism is helps people maintain their way of life in a way they would never be able to maintain in 2021, given 
the cost of the lands. Like at the end of the day, like, and this goes from Kenya to Peru to Brazil. I'm just thinking of the Amazon thing about the Andes, where if you have sustainable tourism and the tourism goes into like these local villages and these local cultures, allowing them to maintain their heritage and their lifestyle in a time when, you know, sustainable agriculture doesn't pay off as much. And it's very difficult to maintain these wild lands. Like that's a very roundabout way of saying, I think everyone knows like in the history of the Maasai Mara, which if people don't know what the Maasai Mara are, it's a place and a tribe. And I think when you think of Kenya and you think of Kenyan of Kenyan civilization or Kenyan tribes, just because I mean the clothing, it's very bright red clothing, but like beautiful jewelry. You know what I mean? Like the earrings, the necklaces, like it's very much like this like really rich history in Kenya. It used to be that they would have to fight lions to survive because there were so many lions in the African plains. Now their lives are dedicated as well to protecting the lions. And if it weren't for the Maasai Mara, we would be struggling so much more as is like, it's very difficult to keep these big cats and big animals alive. But now, you know, the Maasai Mara, it's one of their, it's one of the things that they keep as, that they keep as a people are keeping the species alive. So Mm -hmm. just a roundabout way of saying that there are ways to visit and engage with the culture, support the culture. And that's why I think tourism bureaus really work. Like for Kenya Tourism Bureau, it's called Magical Kenya. But, you know, they promote local business, local agriculture, local local crafts. And they're, I think, consulting that tourism bureau before you go is huge. Uh, Most people, when they fly into Kenya, fly into Nairobi. And so give us the Dave asked you about the culture of Nairobi, but give us the things to do in Nairobi. Some of the th- places that you visited, some of the uh, uh, experiences that you had in the city before you ventured out. And if All I right. can piggyback, and Catherine, Michael, if I can piggyback sort of or add some, some more to Michael's question. You yeah. mentioned earlier about, about cultural um, exploitation and cultural, yeah. and cultural appreciation. What are getting back to Michael's questions? What are the must do's and the must don'ts? Well, one of I think that with the must do's in terms of appreciation versus appropriation, I think there are ways that you can travel and be an ethical traveler and a curious traveler, and ways that you can travel. And I mean, one of the most basic things I would say is Kenya as a fact, has a humongously growing middle class, bigger than the US. You know what I mean? But when you go online on Instagram, and honestly, when I came home and I wanted to watch movies about Kenya, oftentimes you just see impoverished children, barefoot children. Do you know what I mean? You see these images that don't fully reflect the entirety of the experience in Eastern Africa or Kenya specifically. What bothered me as a traveler, and I was with other professional travelers, is that, you know, People would take photos of like a barefoot child on a doorstep without talking to them and then share that. Talk to people before, you know what I mean? I ended up taking pictures of a lot of my guides and a lot of my hosts, but like ask questions, try to learn the local language as much as you can, which is my go-to whenever I'm in a foreign country. You don't need to learn and be like, oh, I'm bad with languages. But if you phonetically write out how to say like, hello in each language, like I still have my Swahili notes, which I started learning on the plane from Peggy of um, Kenya Airlines, but just saying, Jambo, Nia, like, Dina Langoon, Katie, like, hi, what's up? My name's Katie. Show that respect. 
ask a lot of questions. I find that if you approach people from a genuine place of curiosity, it's very difficult to come across as an, as an asshole. People mm-hmm. want to share their stories and history. That's huge. I think interacting. I find that some people, when they're in a place that they feel uncomfortable, they'll interact with people as if like they're talking to a puppy. Do you know what I mean? You're not talking to them, to someone like a human. You're like, you're, oh, I love it here. This is, it's like, they speak English better than you speak Swahili. And then additionally, I think that goes into like not engaging. Like, I think that it all ladders up to where are you, where are your dollars going? And is this something that supports local communities? Because a lot of places that you'll find, not just in Kenya, but around the world, if you're in a situation where you can support locally owned businesses or communities, which again, I recommend, I mean, read my stories, but also the Kenya Tourism Bureau. And these are questions that they're happy to answer and ask. Like in Nanyuki, we went on a tour of Nanyuki with like local guides who were showing us like there was a mill, a weaving mill. I don't know if it's called a mill, but for survivors of domestic violence, because it's hard to sort of sometimes find refuge for domestic um, violence survivors in Kenya. And this mill, these women are provided like home, food, shelter, and they're selling their wares. So I got all these amazing zebra pillows. At one point, this woman started seeing amazing grace. And I was like, am I in the <laughs> right now? But buy the local art, it's going to cost more money, but it's very easy to do in Kenya. Like in Nairobi, there is a Maasai, there's a Maasai market that is just outside the city. You go there, all the money is supporting the Maasai crafters. Like don't go, like, I think this goes over beyond like Peru. Like, don't go and buy the $10 earrings when you should be buying the $60 earrings, which by the way, in US dollars are very cheap. So in terms of appropriation versus exploitation, I think it all depends on are the people who you're visiting and the people that you're mingling with genuinely those people from that region? Like, I think that in Brazil, you find it more with, you'll find these fake shamans who are outside of the Amazon and they're not indigenous to the Amazon. They're sometimes not even Brazilian. And they're hosting these like shaman services versus actually going to an actual one or meeting actual people. And that is why I keep saying the tourism bureau, because they're the ones who are going to be like, okay, like, we were in Mount Kenya, which is where the Mount Kenya Safari Club is in Yuki. And we were greeted by, um, by like, you know, this whole ceremony, which is called an equator ceremony in Nanyuki, which was this whole, basically like this tribal ceremony. And I keep saying tribal because there is several, there are so many different tribes within Kenya, like 80. And, you know, they all amazingly get along and have gotten along historically, which I find amazing because, you know, America doesn't even have that many and we're always struggling. But so, for example, in, in, um, in Yuki, like Mount Kenya is the highest peak in Africa after Kilimanjaro. And it's considered a holy place by the area's indigenous tribes because um, it means Kenya means God's resting place in the three native languages that are spoken in the area. And it's believed to be the sources of the country's name. I went viral tweeting this. A lot of, I got a lot of Kenyans were retweeting me. I was viral on Kenyan Twitter. I was offered, oh, you, you know, you need a Kenyan boyfriend, come move here. But I also, (laughs) yeah, people loved me. I'm telling you. We're going to get you, we're going to get you married off too, by the way. (laughs) But I also got some dissent that was like, well, that's still colonial. That's still somehow been appropriated. So I'm not, I'm not the final word and whatever on here, but the Kikuyu and the Embu are the tribes that believe that, you know, God lived in the mountain and that all the doors in the village were built to face the mountain. 
It's now a World Heritage Site. So when we landed at, you know, Mount Kenya Safari Club, we had this like huge ceremony where there was, you know, music was playing and I got a whole like diploma essentially. And like, you know, you have like this special water and there's something special about the water where if you drop something in it, it spins forever because you're in the equator. But there are all these different places. It's very easy to be a culturally approach, like to be an appreciative traveler, particularly when you work through, and I can't stress this enough, like a tourism bureau, they know what's legitimate, what's not. They're also, if they're working with these tribes, they're supporting these tribes financially. So I think that one thing that needs to be removed in a way is that I think if, if I'm in Scotland, I've been in Scotland and you've had people in kilts playing the bagpipes and you've had dancers and nobody's like, oh my God, these poor people, they're being exploited. It's like they're sharing their culture. I've been in Africa. I've been in Kenya where I've also had people playing music, dancers, local. And they're like, oh my God, these poor people. And it's like, for me, that's the most exploitative. I'm like, you're denying people these human- their humanity. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. you have to recognize people for people. And I think that the, an easy, like for me, at least like I was told, oh, you can't post the selfie that I took with Daniel and Raphael from, and I'll send you this picture from the Maasai Mara. Daniel and I had just been, I'd been dumped. Daniel had been dumped. We like ta- spent all night talking. Like I really became friends with these people. I didn't want it. It wasn't my idea to take a picture because I looked like hell, as you'll see. It wasn't even my idea to take it. But once I took it, I was like, it was cool. And I asked like, you know, Kefa Angiri, who is my guide in the Mara, who I'm obsessed with. I was like, should I post this? And he was like, Obvi- that is the point. Do you know what I mean? And like, other journalists who are African-American or actually Kenyans were like, post this. But then a couple white journalists on my trip were like, that looks like a human zoo. That's exploitative. People as props. I'm like, why are you saying that? Like, for me, it's exploitative to go to Kenya and all your pictures are like in front of the hotel. You're like influencing in your dress. You're calling it like real housewives in Mount Kenya. And you're not interacting with anyone. Like for me, the people are a huge part of the place. And I think you're unlikely to go wrong if you have a local guide. Very easy. And quite honestly, very necessary, particularly when you're traveling around like the African plains, some places like Old Pajetti, you can take your own Jeep, not recommended. These are wild animals, but I think that they're able to keep you astray. And if you have a question and if you're worried about something, ask it, like people will respond. You know what I mean? Like I asked, I was like, do you think that this is, it's okay if I post this, right? I knew it was okay. But then I got these people being like, well, it's weird. And it is okay. You You know, know, people will tell you. I, I think a lot of times as Americans, we have a tendency to go over to other countries and then put their country in our box. Totally. Instead totally. of instead of being appreciative of the place where you have gone uh, and learned their culture, where I was like, okay, we're in Nairobi. How does this fit into New York City? No, that's the wrong way to look at it. You may as well stay home. And people are so much more different than they are. People are so much more similar than they are different. Sorry, I've had a little moment there where my brain was all turned around. But I found like in general, it was the Mai Tai. Yes. It was, yeah. But people, what unites us is so strong because we're all human beings. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was telling you how I was up really late in Nanyuki also talking to like Donald Bungie, like, how did you meet your wife? Like, and then like, what do you think happens when we die? What are you anxious about? Like these conversations that you can have really unites people. And like, I guess you have to dive into more of the deep end of being a little bit talking more about real things versus fake things. But I find that people are very receptive and also people are very curious about you. Like I'm in Kenya and I'm like, I'm obsessed. And people are like, okay, well, I've been, you know, in Tanzania, I've been in South Africa. Like people want to know about your experience, other parts of the world, just as much as like you, I think that the more different 
someone is than I am, the more curious I am. And more just like, what's it like to be you? What's it like going like, how did you grow up? You know what I mean? Like, where do you go to party? Like, where did you meet your friends? Like, how many siblings do you have? You know what I mean? Like, what did you learn in school? What do you like to do? People feel the same way about you also. Like, you're as much of like a unique source of fascination as as other people are. So if you're open, other people want to be open. And be curious. Be kind. Don't be an asshole. That is so small, but so huge. Like, if people are running late, particularly you're on safari or you're on a trip, everyone is there to serve you on a safari trip, just like a cruise in a way, like people want you to be happy. People are trying their hardest to make sure you're happy. If the food's late, food's cold, safari jeep's running late, you didn't see a lion, you know, oh, I want to move. I'm over this elephant. Get over it. They're trying. Just be nice. That goes such a long way. And if you're nice to people, then people relax and they're nice to you. And then just, yeah, like be vulnerable, make fun of yourself, but also be vocal about what you love. Like Kenya, I loved Kenya. And every time people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, you could literally shoot me right now. And I'd be like, thank you for having me. This was a great trip. Ready to die now. Because people are proud of their, of where they're from. And like, particularly like people are happy that you're happy, but also if you recognize some place is really special or something is really unique, like, I guess we'll go back to the Saimara. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, we were driving around Kefa Angiri, our safari guide. Oh my God. Mara Club, Fairmont Mara Safari Club. Get him if you can reserve him. He's amazing. He knows everything. Also, because I asked him everything, I cried because there was this zebra that crossed the path. And I was crying because I just was so happy. And he was like, Oh my God, Katie, this is literally a common zebra. Like, you need to like get your life together. Do you know what I mean? And like, I was like, This for you is, you know, part of your daily life. But for me, I've waited 32 years to see something like this. And people react to that, you know? And you know, I just found everything about Kenya. The sky was different. You know what I mean? The cocktails were me. I was happy every day. I was, I was so happy. I cried. Every, I cried every day and don't act too cool for it. You know, some people are like, Oh, I've been here before, or I've done safari before. It doesn't matter if you've been there a hundred times. Is it amazing? Tell people, yeah. just make friends. It's like, just make friends. Try Don't look at people as there to serve you. Don't look at people as just there to entertain you. Look at people, look at everyone you're with as on your vacation with you. That's how I do it. You know, and then you can have a better experience. As regards to the Musmari uh, and the safaris themselves, did you actually get a chance to stay out uh, with the Musmari and, and spend the nights nights out there with them, or did, were you shuttled back and forth? Because from what I understand, it's not that close to a major population center. So when you're out there, you're out there. Yeah. So when I landed, as mentioned, like we landed, the safari Lincolns are amazing. This is really dumb, but you know, when you think of the Lion King and the Mm -hmm. Lion King, part of the Lion King, like, I mean, the languages that they use were like a mix of like different, you know, African languages, but I'm telling you like some of it, like, you know, you see the planes and the beams of light coming over the golden planes. Mm -hmm. It looks like heaven, by the way. So you get on this filing plane, you land and we were greeted by, um, you know, that like local, like who work with the tourism bureaus, like local elders from the Maasai tribes. So they greeted us. Huge deal. We shopped. We like had this whole ceremony. Then I went back to Fairmont Mara where I was sleeping in like the rhinos. I think it was the hippo corner. Amazing chic tent. I'll send you a picture, but I'm sleeping in this tent, hearing the hippos go nuts all the time and going out for our safari drive. And then, you know, you have dinner out in the Mara and then you come back. So one of the nights we just had dinner, just us with our guides 
And then the second night we had this like huge dinner under the stars. And then we had the Masai Mara, the Mara, Masai Mara came and like had this, we had this whole ceremony. It was our last night, like around the um, fire pit. And then the next day we went actually to like the nearest local village and went shopping. And if there's one regret I have, it's that I didn't spend, I didn't have, I, I didn't have a lot of cash on me at that time. I was strictly freelancing and just like, you know, I wish I'd spent all of my cash. I, if you're going to Kenya, take out all of your cash and transfer it to the local currency because you are going to want to buy everything, just like Morocco, everything. My Ken, I bought all these headbands, all this stuff. And, and that was really fun because that was also like I bonded with people like, or like gotten to know people, you know what I mean? The past two days. And then it was cool. I was like, hey, Katie, like, did you see your, did you see your lion? What's up? You know, it just, it felt like very special in the sense that we were just interacting with the same community. And that was put on through the Kenya tourism board. But I think you can also talk to your local hotels, local camps. But yeah, it's very spread out, you know, like, but we're, we were actually, we're not that far from where, um, from like a huge epicenter for the village because I was talking to Kepa. And a lot of like the Maasai um, people will come over because there's a whole section of the Fairmont Mara camp that's for that's for people who work there and locals. They've got their own bar, they've got their own situation, and they'll come over and watch TV and like have watch sports and hang out. So for for the Fairmont Mara, at least it's quite close. So if you are someone who, and that where the Fairmont Mara is, I don't know exactly where it is in the Maasai. I mean, we can like, I'll send you the the locations. It is. It's. It's very close. And if you're interested in the cultural element too, like definitely stay there. Cause it really wasn't, you know, it was the village was on our way back to the, um, to the airport landing where the airplane came and went. This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacations, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. How much of Western culture have they embraced? In other words, when you, what's the difference? What, what are the major differences that you see between the capital city and the outskirts? Huge, huge differences. I mean, I, humongous. I guess, ah, I'm trying to compare this, but it's very difficult because our civilizations aren't as old as Kenyan civilizations. Right. So, I would describe it as landing in the equivalent of New York City and going out to Wyoming, to Yellowstone. Um, but wow. actually being around like our best equivalent. I think that Yellowstone National Park is America's Serengeti and our equivalent of the Maasai Mara, like the oldest civilizations we have are native, are native American civilizations. So, I mean, right. if we're going to put it in American terms, I guess like that. But it's not. That's why I liked the way that my trip went because it went Nairobi which is more of a city. And I, w- I want to go back and spend more time there. I actually have like some friends there, some friends of friends, and there's like a huge art scene and a huge foodie scene. Mm-hmm. That's the thing where I think you definitely want to guide or local just because the traffic is cray and you want to know where to go out. Okay. <laughs> but that was definitely more, that was more of a city. But as mentioned, just outside, I went to the Karen Blixton Museum, um, which is the author of Out of Africa. I went to the David Sheldrick Wildlife Foundation, which is for um, elephants and elephant rehab. I adopted an elephant, Kaiza. Oh my God, so cool. Um, and that was the first. And then we went to the draft center. And that was the first sense where I got, you know, people talk about conservation. And I don't know if this is a super westernized viewpoint, but I remember being a little kid and hearing, oh, well, 
people in Africa don't protect that. They don't value their wildlife as much, which is such a like colonialist perspective of putting the blame off of these American dentists. And that's something I really wanted to address in my stories where I was like, people are very much trying to protect their, and because it's a part of their national heritage. So starting in Nairobi in the city and seeing how people just outside the city are helping giraffes and elephants, going to Nanyuki, which is a mix because Nanyuki like is where Mount Kenya is. And this town of Nanyuki is like more of like, I guess a suburbish, but there's still downtown, but it's not a booming metropolis as much as Nairobi, but like a lot of people who worked at Mount Kenya Safari Club or Old Pujata Wildlife Center, they're from, they live in Nanyuki. So that was like between if there's city, country, this was town. Um, and then from there, and so, I mean, I need to chirp Old Pujata for a second because I think when you think of Kenya, and it depends what time of year you visit, but for me, I thought of like the golden fields. And I was there in October. And so the Maasai Mara with the golden fields, and you know, those crazy little trees. Mm-hmm, oh my mm-hmm. God, what are they called? I forget, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It was like peak Kenya. But then when you're in Nanyuki or Mount Kenya, it rains a lot. So it's very lush. And to give you a sense of like how many animals you're going to see if you go on safari in Olpajeta. You, I was five minutes in and it was like, here's an elephant walking right up to me. They have so many animals in all Pajeta, so much wildlife that they need to expand. Like they're figuring mm. out ways to expand, but it's very difficult because, you know, you have to protect the animals as you expand and you need to be, and you know, a lot of you need to employ people and it's like very sort of difficult. Like Mount Kenya is a um, world, it's like a world heritage site. Mm-hmm. And so from Mount Olpajeta, then you go to the Maasai Mara. Maasai Mara, heaven on earth, honestly. But you, on safari, you drive a little bit further and a little bit longer to see animals because it's so spread out. And that's where, you know, it bleeds into Serengeti. And I'm certain, like, that there are people who, I mean, there are definitely people who live in the Maasai Mara. I'm sure I didn't see all of it. But from what I did see, it's more of like being, it's like being in a national park. You know, there are people who are, the Maasai Mara live there. Um, I saw Miss Imar living there and, you know, you see them also working and hurting animals, et cetera, et cetera. But the people who work there are also really in tourism and wildlife um, conservation. So yeah, it's, it's like going from a city to a national park, but I think it's important to get a perspective on all of it just because I don't know. I, I mentioned about the people, but like, I loved where I stayed, the Norfolk, this beautiful pink hotel. It was almost like a garden in the middle of the city. You know, sundowners there were amazing. The pianists and the, I loved like the musicians, a lot of local live music everywhere. And it was cool because I think that you always want to get a sense of a place. And what's nice is that, I mean, for example, for me, I were, I was, I stayed all of these three are heritage Fairmont properties. And I've been on here talking before about how I hate large hotel groups, but I do have to comment here that the Fairmont, I think does a really good job of they, where they will take under their wing a historic hotel, infuse it with that Fairmont menu to keep it wonderful and beautiful, but have it maintain everything about the place that makes it unique. So like, it didn't feel like I was going to like a chain of Hilton's. It felt like every place I was was super distinct. Um, Hemingway crushed the first two places. Like if you want to live like Hemingway, like I do think he has good taste in interior design. You know, Fairmont Norfolk was spectacular. Mount Kenya Safari Club, Oh my God. So it used to be a hunting club. And so you've got all of the ta- the taxidermy and pachydermy everywhere, but it's now like super huge into wildlife conservation. That's where they're saving the mountain bongos. Right. Um, 
And then the Mara app. But what I'm saying is you can work and book those through Fairmont. Like there are ways, I know people get very distressed about how can I book my trip to Kenya? It's overwhelming. But there are these resources. Like I really, rec- I was only there a week. I flew Kenya Airways, highly recommended. The flight is not bad at all. The food's great. It's also, I love flying whatever air, like if I'm going to Hawaii, I want to be on Hawaiian air. If I'm on Iceland, I want to go to Iceland air. It just feels like, you know, I think the difference between a vacationer and a traveler is that a traveler accepts that the journey is part of the vacation. It's part of the trip. So, mm-hmm. and also Kenya Airways having these direct flights. And I'm sure, I mean, the pandemic has really made everything really tough, but that is huge for like East African and American trade tourism. When we're talking about being a conscientious traveler, don't fly like whatever, fly Kenya Airways. But then you can also like work with the Mount, with the Kenya Tourism Bureau, but also these individual hotels can help you plan where you want to go. Like at the Mm. Norfolk, Nairobi is the most stressful, I think, because it's a big bustling city. I wouldn't know where to get or how to get around. You know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. could be like, I want to visit these three places and I want to go to this. And they are just like, these are luxury hotels. They will make it happen for you. And that is sort of the argument also for spending money in places that, I mean, I know we talked, well, when we get into Nepal, there are some places where you can spend money, $10 a night. And it's like, how can they feed people at $10 a night? When you're going to a country where your dollar, yeah. When your dollar is so powerful, spend more money because I think people are like, Kenya is so expensive. I'm never going to be able to go. But the, the currency exchange is amazing and the flights aren't that bad. So if you've got a week, you can go and it's not going to cost as much as a long weekend in Sweden. You know, like currency exchange on, the, you know, there are places you can stay. And I felt like I had a luxury trip, but there are places you can stay even more luxurious, which amazing, cool, awesome. If you can afford it, I recommend it. But if you can't, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I missed out on anything by not being at like a $5,000 a night. Place. Like, I feel like I got everything in a short right. period of time. So yeah, don't, don't, there's never the right amount of money. And there's never the right amount of time to go anywhere. But I think if Kenya has been on your bucket list or, you know, if you want to go to sub-Saharan Africa, East Africa, my friends and I always talk, I feel like Kenya changes you in a good way. I really do. And I mean, I was saving up money with my friends when I was 25, 26 to go to Kenya. I was at $4,000 maybe. We thought we had to get to 20,000. I wasn't at 4,000. Let's be honest. I'd gotten my paycheck and hadn't spent. Yeah, I was like, I'm at $4,000. But her dad was turning like 60 and he was like, we're all going to go to Kenya. And I was like, I hate you. Now I'm never going to (laughs) go. And I'm telling you, she's like, there's my dad before and after Kenya. It gives you perspective. And that's so dumb to say, but there are places in the world that are so magnificently beautiful that it's just like, wow. You know, I exist on this planet with these creatures and also like, so Africa is not as far away, let's be real, from the East Coast of the U.S. as other places are, but it feels light years away just because I think that there are places in the world that are irreplicable, irreplicable, irreplicable. And yeah. I think Eastern Africa, East Africa is one of them. I'm dying to go to Senegal. I'm not trying to hit on West Africa. I love North Africa. But I think that like, you know, the Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, like that cluster of countries with the with the landscape and the and it's crazy because you look at how great of a job people are doing. Like we're in our Jeep. That's another animal. It's like, you're in a big 
dinner party of different various African animals, they look at you like, what are you doing here? You're so random. Like I saw like a warthog napping beneath a tree and there was like an antelope and a zebra chilling. We pulled up next to these lions that were just yawning at us. And it's like, we are the (laughs) random ones here. Like, and that speaks also to like the Kenyan government, how good of a job they've done with conservation. Because I mean, I would compare it to being in the Galapagos, except for, you know, and thank God you're in a Jeep. There are some places you can go that are walking safaris. Like I'm dying to do Zambia. You can walk. Mm -hmm. You're going to be happy to be in that Jeep because, you know, it's quite, it's quite serious there, but it just changes you like the stars Mm -hmm. and you know, things in life, I truly believe that if a place is calling your name, it's calling you for a reason. And Kenya had been calling me like forever. Like before I remember what travel is, before I knew what travel was. And I think that it holds like a big place, honestly, in American imagination, partially because we grew up loving these animals and the Lion King. And you think about this place, right? But also because I think that the African wildlife and landscape, that's sort of seared into the popular imagination as sort of this like nirvana. And it is. You know what I mean? Like if you, it lives up to the hype and beyond it. Cause I was expecting, oh, great animals. Then I was like, great people, great cocktails, amazing, an amazing history. You know, Kenya doesn't have the history of slavery. It has this history of colonialism, which is very interesting to also like discuss now. Like, like it's interesting now because there's still that hallmarks and the remnants of it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the people in power in the country and the sort of the race relations within the country, it's a very different experience versus visiting like South Africa, for example, which like apartheid was so recent and talking to people who've been to South Africa, it's so beautiful and they love it, but it's a, it's a heavier experience because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so it's, but being in Kenya and obviously I don't know the ins and outs of everything, but it just was wonderful to be in a place and be totally fish out of water in a sense of, I don't know about these. I don't know. I was learning. My mind was, I was learning so many new things every day. I felt every single day. And I just felt so grateful to be there. Like you, I felt, and just, yeah. And that's why I think going through the tourism bureau, like at the end of the day, like it's going to be hard to find very locally owned luxury hotels, which is what we talked about earlier, I think. But you can stay at hotels that have a more pyramidal structure than a flat structure where it's like this guy from Texas owns it and everyone mm. who works there is on the same level. Because if we're going to have tourism really be good for local communities, it's, we're going to have to look generation after generation. Like, okay, so now it's owned by the people who've had the money historically. But like now you've got these people. And what I found amazing in Kenya is that people are very trained in tourism and a lot of places it's easy to stay at locally owned restaurants, visit locally owned restaurants, visit, stay at hotels where the GM is local. You know, there's just like, I know we just talked about the Maldives and the Maldives. It's a whole generation of people being trained in tourism for the first time, but Kenya, you got yeah. the sense that this is a, this is a perfected art. that's just going to get stronger and stronger. And hopefully as time goes by, become a vehicle for like the economy, stabilizing the economy and giving more opportunities for people. Right. Within the country. Wow, wow, wow. I think I just went on a trip with you to Kenya and I'm still sitting yeah. in the chair. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like I rambled so hard on this, but I just one thing led to another very quickly. No, we actually learned a lot from you. That's why we are just listening to you. <laughs> I have tips though. I do have a couple tips for you for, for sure. anyone okay. who's going. Right. Number one. Bring a portable charger, like bring a brick, spend the $100 on a portable charger because your phone will die. And some of these Jeeps on Safari have outlets, but a lot of 
them like they don't necessarily. And you're going to be taking so many pictures, portable charger, adapter. And in terms of clothing, you want to be in khaki. Like I have this feeling like with, I sometimes feel like safari swag is like cowboy hats. Like you have to be gifted it. Like my favorite hat in the world, Daniel Jatari from the Mount Kenya Safari Club. Live for him, love him. If he's listening, love you. He gave me his hat, which was so cool because we're friends at the end. And then they gave us a vest. By the end, I felt I looked like a guide. But coming into it, like you want to be in beige because that's sort of the landscape and you don't want to be in white and you want to be in a lot of, it gets hot and then it gets cold. It gets very cold at night. So a lot of layers. Mm. Be flexible, be prepared that there's going to be a hell of a lot of traffic. You know what I mean? Be comfortable with that. Also, get to the Safari Link planes early. You know what I mean? But, and finally... You don't need as long as you think that you need, because if you wait for 10 days or a week, two weeks to take a safari, chances are the way Americans work, you're not going to have those days. I'm not saying, I wish I could have been in the Mara for two, for two weeks, but I was in the Mara for two days, but you get a lot on each safari. Like, it's not like, oh, like you didn't see anything. Like if you're doing one or two game drives a day, you're going to see a lot. So Mm -hmm. I would go to Kenya for a long weekend. I mean, I truly, I truly would. And then book your flight in advance is like the last thing that I would say is that because the flights are the most important part. And yeah, make sure that you see more than just the animals. Cause also, I mean, I've got, I've got an endless appetite for looking at these crazy big animals, but it can get dull if you're over it. You're like, all right, I've seen one elephant. I've seen a million. You know what I mean? And trust your driver, trust your guide. I can't express this enough. Like I was in a travel writer vehicle, which Kefa was our guide. And it was like, you take us where you want to go. But the influencer vehicle was sort of like, we need to take 80 more pictures of this elephant or go up to that lion. They know where the stuff is. They're talking to each other. They're like letting each other know. So have faith. And yeah, and have, have faith that the people there know what they're doing more than you are. And finally, bring all your cash. You're going to want to spend, if you're not going to Masai Mara, I would recommend going to the um, to Masai Mara market outside mm-hmm. of Nairobi. And I would recommend buying a drawing from the draft center because that, as mentioned, helps the kids. Um, I would recommend adopting, helps kids see the, see the wild giraffes. Adopt an elephant. That's really fun and rewarding. And you can re-up at Sheldrick Wildlife Center. And then Nanuki, go to that loom, go to the weaver's loom, go to the loom and buy like some of the pillows or placemats. Cause like these women's shelters that are popping up that are just, you know, this local, these local organizations that, you know, it's, it's empowering for people where, you know, suddenly these women have a new source of income. They've got a new place to live and the artistry is amazing. All right, Dave, so, I'm yes. going to have to float a loan from Dave for all this cash. It's, um, it's cheap. It's cheap. It's not expensive. Kenya is very, very cheap. Like, I'm broke. The, Dave's got the money. I'm, I'm broke. <laughs> Dave's got all the <laughs> So, Catherine, if, if it's not expensive and Michael needs a loan from me, it suggests that Michael's cheap, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I've just got to say, like, I, like, Kenya, had, and I lost a bunch of, if, and if you go, let me know. DM me on Instagram. I'm looking for new headbands. I lost all of my jewelry in Cappadocia last year, like a bunch. And it was the main thing I miss are my Kenyan headbands. They're yeah. beaded. Let me know and I'll put in an order. Oh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll definitely. We're taking you, know. you with us. Yes. And yeah. adopt mountain bongos. If you go to Mount Kenya, even if you don't stay at the Mount Kenyan Safari Club, go visit the center there. 
Ask for Donald Bungie. He's a guest. I'm obsessed with him. And you can adopt these mountain bongos by buying these beautiful watercolor prints. Yes. And yeah, there's just so much to do. It's so fabulous. I think instead we're going to adopt you. Yeah, adopt me. I need to go. I was supposed to go back. Like I was supposed to go back March or April of 2020. I was going to go to Somalia at the time, actually Somalia, Tanzania to visit African people and wildlife, which is this um, NGO there that helps support the community and stuff. And then back to Kenya. And that's just like, you know, you're going to love it. It's the best country. It's the best place I've ever been. That and then, you know, Nepal, I love to. Nepal, I really love to. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, And I'm I'm glad you made the point of the dress and what to wear, because the equator runs right through the central part of Kenya and you wouldn't associate cold weather with Kenya unless you're you're at altitude. (laughs) It gets called scarves. Oh, my God. That's another thing. I lost my Kenyan scarf in Nepal. I want to cry about it. But there are these beautiful scarves that are sort of light, lightweight. You don't need to go to the Mara for them. They're sort of sold everywhere. Kenyan Airways actually has some. You're going to want to be in a scarf. You're going to want to be in a vest with all those pockets. And those are just good life things to have. I was wearing my safari vest around my house during peak COVID because I was too lazy to like get the remote, get my laptop charger. Like you might use it again, but and the hats and just, yeah. And also, I mean, this is just something that goes without saying, but buy the safari gear. You can buy the safari gear where you're staying at the safari camps and that supports local industry too. So if you can't find it beforehand, go and buy it there. So, oh, and pack a light, a soft covered bag. You can't have a hard shelled bag on these safari link planes. Travel light. So wear all your layers on the, on the, um, on the plane and Mm -hmm. bring a, like a duffel, you know, those green, bring a canvas bag, um, because they're very light, these planes, and they won't let you take it if you can't take it. So if it doesn't fit, you're out of luck. Can you speak to this, to the nightlife and the entertainment and so on because so many of our guests are social butterflies they like to go i mean they want to see the safaris they want to see the um they, they want to understand the history but at the same time they want to be a bit social they want some nightlife can you speak to that yeah dave's talking about himself by the way <laughs> yeah so that's why i would say nairobi really comes into play and that's also like when you're packing like I mean, for guys, I would just say like a, a button down or blazer or whatever, maybe not a blazer, but bring something nice because Nairobi can be quite chic. And that mm. is something where like you should, if you want nightlife, like Nairobi, like the first night, honestly, I've never had really bad jet lag before. This was the only time in my life was China to Kenya. The first night I had to go to bed early just because I felt dizzy and like I was going to puke a little bit. That happened to me in China too. If you feel like that, that's just like insane jet lag. So just go to bed. But even at the Norfolk, like they, we had this beautiful dinner out on the veranda and they, as mentioned, like, and then they have this amazing bar inside and it's like mm-hmm. the piano and like, you know, people are, oh my God, I'll send you some videos of, yes. I'm obsessed with this place, but that's also like a happening sort of bar in the Norfolk where it's not just tourists. It's like people in Nairobi go in, but yeah, like you can work out with your, I think it's helpful to have a driver the whole time you're there, which costs money, but I think it's easier because you can like not have to, Nairobi is difficult to navigate because of the traffic and because Mm -hmm. it's like the way it's laid out. But that's where I would say go out. Like you can go out to piano bars, you can go to art galleries, you can go to like live music. So if you want to go out in Nairobi, it's all there for you. Talk to the, you know, 
consult people beforehand, read my stories, but also talk to your concierge at the hotel and they can arrange that for you. Tell them what you're looking for. In terms of nightlife in Mount Kenya and um, in the Masai Mara, Mount Kenya, like they're like, I mean, we had dinner at this beautiful place. Again, music, overlooking, um, overlooking the um, amazing mountain. But the nightlife when you're more on safari is more like amazing sundowners and bush breakfast have champagne, but it's amazing sundowners. You're going to be drinking cocktails, drinking champagne. Then you have this amazing dinner underneath the like insane African sky. And then you go back and that's where you creep at the bar, which I love to do. You can keep drinking. There are people there. Well, like it's a great vibe at all these places. Um, And in Mount Kenya, there's Nanyuki, which has downtown. And you can definitely like arrange to go out in Nanyuki, I believe. But we, when we were in Nanyuki, we had like, um, well, we were meeting with like various sort of heads of, you know, we met with like the um, various sort of local government heads and stuff. But if you're not, if you're not as VIP as I am, I'm sure you can go out. But you'll also be beat. You will be, you will be tired from safari because you're going to get up early. And get up as early as they tell you to. Do you know what I mean? Like if they're like 5.30, get up at 5.30. But, you know, you're outside all day. Um, and it's cold at night. So they give you this amazing hot water bottle. It's very chic. You know what I mean? It's very much nice. like very, it's very, very thoughtful. Like you're really, and I, and I said I wasn't in the top, because sometimes I am like in the most luxurious place to stay. But I wasn't in like the most prohibitively expensive. I was just in a great great places, historic places. And just the hospitality was amazing. The only thing to get used to is it'll be slower. Things will be a little bit slower. People are more chill. So be patient. Cool. Cool. Wow. All right. Yeah. I definitely felt like I've just been to Kenya and haven't even set foot in the country yet. Catherine, this is great. (laughs) Oh, I had my one last thing, which is, this is so dweeby. But when I left, I was like, Kenya is the perfect place. Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, so safari means journey in Swahili. So, Mm. you know, I was like, when I came back, I talked to my cousin, Jason McLaughlin, who's this biologist. He's very smart. And I was like talking about Kenya. And he was like, of course, it's perfect. Like, it's not too hot. It's not too cold. Like, he's like, but that's because that's where people, we became people. That's where humanity, that's like the birthplace of humanity. And like, just the overall view, like I was like, you know, the East African grasslands, like that's what socialized us. It forced us to become human. And then I was like, maybe we need to go back to Kenya to feel human again. I truly felt like this, like, I felt like, I felt this, I just felt so, I felt like I was in one of the most magical places in the world. And I think everyone will feel that, you know, there's something about it. That's just, you'll love it. I should work in Kenya tourism, actually. I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. I can't. I have no inkling of like objectivity anymore, you know, but. <laughs> I'm looking here at the festivals they have and I'm seeing the, what's it? The Lamu Yoga Festival. They, they have a hat contest. <laughs> they have a power festival. Did you get a chance to experience any of those the week that you were there or you weren't you that lucky? Or you weren't that lucky? I wasn't that lucky, but I think it goes like, similar to the Caribbean in the sense where I feel like there's always so much happening, like that's like available to the public, like throughout the Caribbean. And I mean, in Europe too, but everywhere, but I think the Caribbean actually has the corner market on it just because it's like, I feel like there are just a lot of street festivals and celebrations. 
Kenya in various pockets around Kenya, you should always check in on the, on the events calendar. And that's also where you consult, you know, tourism bureau. And also, I mean, I try to go into places with an open mind about, I don't want to learn everything, but Kenya is a place too, where like, you're going to learn a lot when you're there that mm-hmm. you don't need to be quiet in the Jeep. Ask your safari guide a million questions. Like the stuff I learned, I'll never forget. Like dating in New York city is the same as like, you know, being an animal in like the East plains of East Africa, like dick dicks, <laughs> these little animals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you'll never see a dick dick alone, like if their partner dies, they literally, uh-huh. and they mate for life, they walk up to a lion and are like, kill me now. I'm dead. Like they commit suicide. Like these crazy, these Cape buffaloes, like it's always one buffalo, hundred women. They're like the Warren Beatty or the Jack Nicholson of the Plains, but then they get too old and they're like hooking up with 200 women. And, but if they can't satisfy all 200, another man can come in and he's rejected. But when he gets too old, like he gets beaten out and he spends the rest of his days alone with other old bachelors. Like you'll learn a lot, but I would say like, they're like, try to read up on the history of the places that you are. And that's also where the tourism bureau can be helpful. But I guess it would be helpful too. Like I want to, I can, we can share like a list of different, um, authors, books to read, you know, so that you get a sense before you go. That description that you gave just now sounds like a friend of mine. Sounds like you were speaking about my friends. Yeah. (laughs) You will never, male lions are always alone because female lions, like they chill in a pack and every two years they're like, I want to have a baby, but male lions, they have a pricker on the end of their, of their lion penis. And it hurts so much that the female Mm -hmm. lions like only tolerate it. They're like, they'll have sex once every 20 minutes until they feel they're with child. And then they're kicked out again. Like just the the drama that goes down. And like, you know, there's no, at least that's what I found on safari to be so fascinating. And then Kefa Angiri, I was obsessed with him. Donald Bungie, Daniel Guattari, um, oh my God, all these people that I met when I was there, but ask questions. People are, people are so educated too about the wildlife. Like you have to go to school, essentially like conservation right. school for like two years, three years, you know what I mean? And, and I, I know I it sounds, it sounds to me like you earned your PhD in animal. <laughs> I did, well, And I laughed and I was like, and I just have kept in touch with so many Kenyan people too. That was just so easy because of, um, not just Instagram, but WhatsApp and email. And just, I'm very passionate about, I'm very passionate about Kenya. And just, and I mentioned this earlier, but just being in a country after China too, where you're, you're the weird, you're the, you're the odd one out in the sense that I was a minority for like the second time in a row, back to back, very thoroughly. And I think that's very important for people to be, you know, you recognize that like, you're just one this little drop on the planet, you know? And mm-hmm. I just think that that's that kind of perspective is huge. Like you feel that way culturally, you know what I mean? Particularly because Kenyan culture and society is way older than America, but you feel that way as an animal. I was like, I am one little random animal who's here in my like little safari hat in this Jeep. And these animals have been here before us, after us. Spectacular. 10 out of 10. Best trip ever. Book your flight. Go. All right. Wow. Done. Cause consider that handled. We'll, we'll let you know when yes. we adopt, we'll let you know when we adopt you. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, you you you'll make it some paperwork in the mail from some obscure guy. It'll be us. Yes. <laughs> Do you want your last name changed to Cumberbatch or Bennett? <laughs> I mean, honestly, either one. I think we can we can quadruple. I think it's Catherine Parker Maguire Cumberbatch Bennett. Yeah, Cumberbatch we can. Bennett. That, that's not it at all. Yeah. 
That sounds Cumberbatch great. Bennett sounds like something out of Pride and Prejudice, by the way. Because I feel like there's a Cumberbatch <laughs> and a Bennett. You're like in a Jane, this would be a Jane Austen novel. Okay. <laughs> no, Dave, you're, you're responsible for writing that book. I got enough writing to do on my own. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Catherine, thanks for taking us on the journey to Kenya. Um, this, this was actually fun. I mean, it's like, it's like getting a, a history, culture, and travel lesson all wrapped into a podcast. And yeah. Yeah, your passion for Kenya shows. I mean, uh, the you. smile on your face, you haven't stopped smiling since you started talking. So uh, I don't know how you talk through gritted teeth, but it was cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and up to now, I literally, I just pulled up a story I wrote before, but I just remember it all so well. Yeah. Like uh, Taylor Swift, I remember it all too well. Uh, I, I saw that, I saw that reference in one of your other writings somewhere too. So yeah, I have to remember where I saw that. <laughs> oh my god, I referenced Taylor Swift's always. Except for Taylor Swift got in trouble actually because one of her songs has a um, you know, she has like this sort of people are like this is a colonialist dream. It's like white people on safari. Right. Um, that being said, I think I think Taylor Swift's heart is in the right place, and I think that that was just like an awkward video that you know. Yeah. I don't know how we got there, but Taylor Swift, man. Listen uh, to Elton John's recordings, though, from The Lion King. I'm telling you, I was listening to Can You Feel the Love Tonight every day because Elton John is a huge lover of Africa in general. Like, he was huge, and, and he wrote those songs. And the Lion King soundtrack, just Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And then also, um, what is it, like, The Circle of Life? Mm-hmm, My yeah. Oh, man, was like, that's we need a- to turn this off. But even people I was talking to there, and they were like, so I was like, I have to admit this private shame that I'm listening to Lion King a lot. And then I remember Kafa was like, it's a banger. It's a good, but and then in China, I was listening to Mulan a lot. And that goes to ap- appreciation versus appropriation. Cause I've always loved those movies, but like, they made me want to go. So, you know, yeah. I think that there's, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. We'll well, see. The, the, the line, the, you and my son are approximately the same age. So uh, needless to say, I sang him enough Lion King soundtrack songs uh, throughout his childhood to last him for the rest of his life. Um, oh, it's it's the best. That yeah. soundtrack. I was with my mom the week after and we were on a road trip and I kept listening to the soundtrack and she was finally like, you know, this is good. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you'll love it. There's nothing better. And now I'm just dying to go back. Nothing I love better. the Lion. I love the Lion King. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we I think we've seen it a hundred times too. So maybe my son will share that with his kids. Who knows? Anyway, he will. it's a he classic. Will. Yeah, it's a classic. All right, Catherine, we appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you just uh, woke up, we've been talking to Catherine Parker Magyar. You can go to her website, CatherineParkerMagyar.com. Her Twitter handle is the exact same thing. Her or I'm sorry, her Instagram handle is Catherine Parker Magyar. Her Twitter handle is KPM1231. Mm-hmm. And Parker Magyar is her Facebook handle. So you can check all that out. Sign up for her newsletter. It's great. It's a great read. And Catherine, um, looking forward to next month. We will figure out. I think we know where we're going next month, uh, Bonaire. So um, we should have some fun with that as well. So, again, thanks for uh, being part of our family. And uh, uh, I, I'm waiting and can't wait for you to come back on and, and t- tell us about your next adventure. Yes, definitely. I'm so excited. And I'll be fresh. This one is fresh because I can obviously talk about Kenya in my sleep, but it'll be fun also to talk to you guys about a trip that I literally just got back from. 
Cool. Most certainly. Yeah. Most certainly. All right. And that wraps up this episode of Tripcast360.com from my dear friend Dave Cumberbatch in New York. This is Michael Gordon Bennett saying so long, and we'll see you next time on another edition of Tripcast 360.